You're listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Lubbock, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered, missional family of disciples making disciples and churches planting churches. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit RedeemerLubbock.org. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, My name is Dusty. I'm one of the pastors, and I love that the Bible uh, does a couple of things, and it just does it really throughout the whole thing, is on the one hand, it's going to hit like deep spiritual truth about, you know, how salvation works, heaven and hell, and and how how that plays out. Spoiler, it happens through Jesus' death and resurrection. That's how it is that we're reconciled to God. And so it deals on that level, but I think there would be a certain number of us that might think that that's the only thing the Bible really addresses is kind of pie in the sky. And next life and, and try to get to heaven, which it does. But then the Bible also gets incredibly practical, like into the everyday parts of life. And the book of Romans that we're going through in chapter 12 had a, like a, an abrupt turn uh, that's fitting. And actually, I would say the whole New Testament, like all of Paul's writings in particular, go just like that, where here's how salvation works, here's who God is. And then it'll move in the second half of all of Paul's writings, it'll move to uh, now let's talk about some implications for life. And that's what happened in Romans 12, where it's, it says, hey, therefore, in view of God's mercies, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, now let's not be conformed to the world, but rather let's be transformed. And the way that's going to happen is by the renewing of our mind so that we can know what God's will is, so we can please God. And that's what God does. That's how, how it plays out. And what's going to be, uh, this is almost like a tactical conversation today in Romans 14, is that it's going to seem like it's like this real specific thing. And I guess that's true, but I love Love that the Bible is just so real, and the specific thing we're going to be talking about today is when Christians have different like convictions, is what I would describe them. Where one person might feel free to do something, another person might not feel free to do something, and yet they're in the same gospel community, and yet they're close friends, and they might go to an event, and one feels like they can, one feels like they can't. And you can just see how it sets up fault lines for conflict about one feels judged by the other. Uh, the other one feels like they're, uh, one person's a stick in the mud and um, that they're free in Christ. So what's their deal or whatever. And uh, like it's, this is what can cause friendships to unravel, churches to unravel. And so like we can have a real idealized view of the church about, oh, it's going to be great. We're going to uh, walk with Jesus and it's going to be incredible, and we're all these people of grace. And it sounds good on paper, but if you've ever actually been involved in a church and actually known Christians, you know that sometimes it's messy. And it's things like this, when we disagree on something, that sometimes can unravel friendships and uh, make people leave churches. And also, So I love the fact that the Bible says, let's just go there. As uncomfortable as it may be, like he's going to name issues, and I'll name issues too for us. He's going to name issues and say, let's just let's just talk about these things. So um, we're going to, that's where we're going to be going today, and and I think all this, by the way, is heightened by the fact that um, that self absorption is not anything new. You're going to see it in this passage today, where it's going to be called out. It's so hard to live together and have relationships together, and uh, and whenever you're self absorbed, can we all agree? that whatever might have been true 2,000 years ago, just because of human nature, that our particular cultural moment we live in, can we just agree that whatever kind of self-absorption might have been true 2,000 years ago has just been teased out a little bit and or a lot, maybe exponentially so? It's true, just maybe more so, um, what we're going to see today play out. All right, so let me give you one exception before we try to understand some of the terms that we're going to be using today. So it's kind of odd to start with an exception, but that's what I'm going to do. So here's the thing. What we're not talking about with convictions is we're not talking about things that the Bible just clearly says, yeah, don't do that. 
or you should do this. So for instance, um, that, and this is really pressing because I'll have people over the years that will, will make, um, will feel like that God has said it's okay for them because they feel, they don't feel guilty about it. They're like, Hey, we've prayed about it. And we actually totally feel like, even though we're just dating and we're not married, we've prayed about it. And we feel like it's totally fine if we move in together and have a sexual relationship, even though we're not married and we have a peace about it that we're not talking about that because it's like, you know, monopoly, um, that if you ever like, uh, you know, get the go to jail thing, it says, you know, don't, don't pass go and all that. So terrible analogy, but that's kind of what we're talking about. Like don't pass go. If the Bible says, yes, do this. No, don't do this. Then don't pass go. Um, I'm not saying go to jail, but just go do the thing that the Bible says to do out of faith in your heart. And that th- this isn't even an area that you get to say, well, no, my conscience kind of, uh, I feel fine that you feeling fine about something is not the final determinant of what's right and true and beautiful um, that the Bible is. And so we obey what the Bible says when it's clear, and we just, we just go straight there and conform what we wish were true. And, and we should expect that if God exists, that there'd be things in the Bible, even morally, that we might not necessarily agree with at first glance. We should expect for there to be some things that might not fit with our particular culture at that time. So just want to be clear. If you feel like it's okay to go rob a bank and you feel clear that it's not okay, that's a, that's a no. Like you just don't, that this is not one of these things that you say tomato, I say tomato. I've never actually heard anybody say tomato, but even if you did, that that's not where we're going with this whole thing. Oh no, we just disagree. We're gonna have to agree to disagree. No, the Bible's really clear on that. All right. So that's the exception. Does that make sense? So we're talking about areas where there might be some gray, where the Bible might allow some different convictions to happen uh, that might be unique to one person versus another. And that's specifically what we're getting at. Now, the next thing I want to do is, um, you know, get some definition here to a couple of terms, specifically around terms like weak and strong. And go ahead and pull back up the first few verses here of chapter 14. And you'll see this here. It says, as for the one who is weak in faith. Now, I want to be clear about this. Weak does not mean, he's using the term in a very specific way. He's not talking someone that has less faith. Um, and that'll be clear while we work through this passage. He's not talking about someone that's less spiritually mature even. Specifically the way he's using it, he says, As for the one who's weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. And then continues, one person believes he may eat anything. That's going to be person, the way that Paul's using this term, is it, he doesn't use the term strong, but that's, that's that person there. Um, the weak person eats only vegetables. So um, you see strong, you see weak, let, uh, let the, not the one who despise, who eats despise the one who abstains. Let the, not, the one who abstains not pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Um, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? Um, it is before his own master that he stands or falls. So I'm just going to stop there. So here's how Paul's using it. Is probably the issue is, the way he's using the term weak would be uh, probably Jewish Christians. It does not mean that they were less spiritually mature. He doesn't mean weak in their faith. He doesn't mean weak in their spiritual maturity. But he's using the term in a specific way that their conscience would not allow them to do certain things. And, um, and you can see this in the whole of chapter 14, even though we're not going to cover all of chapter 14. If you're following along in our reading plan, you will this week. And you, one issue is uh, you, you see eating meat is probably in 14, uh, verses 2, 3, and 6. And then again in verses 20 and 21, you have the observance of special days in verse 5. Um, you also have an issue with drinking, probably, presumably with alcohol, in verse 21. And so the week would be Jewish Christians that even though we know from the teaching of the whole Bible 
that the law has been fulfilled in Christ. Paul talked about this back in Romans 10. Um, also, some issues with the law were brought up in chapters 6, 7, and even uh, inferred in chapter 8, that we know that in Jesus, whenever he died on the cross, was resurrected from the dead, that all of the Old Testament law that someone that had been raised with, so if you're not like a, a big Bible person and you're new to all this, that in the Old Testament, the Jewish people were given the law. That's how they would relate with one another. It's how they would relate with God. And, um, and so what the, the scriptures teach is when Jesus came, he fulfilled all the law. He did all of those things. And then when he died on the cross um, and through his resurrection, there's a lot of different views that Christians have on, on how the law relates with us today. But one thing that I think we can all agree on, no matter where you're at, if you're in any of those debates, is that um, for sure the ceremonial aspects of the law were fulfilled in Christ. That would mean things like we don't need a temple anymore. We don't need sacrifices anymore. We don't need priests anymore. The dietary laws are, have been fulfilled in Christ. That means um, you know, things like eating pork, um, different, or even some of the fabrics that you, you could see uh, you were forbidden to wear in the Old Testament, that all those were fulfilled in Christ. So um, if you get real specific about it, that you had some Jewish Christians that knew that. They knew that the law had been fulfilled in Christ, but because of the way that they were raised and uh, because of, of their maybe interactions in the past with some Gentiles, these Jewish Christians that are described as, as weak in this area um, just didn't feel like their conscience would allow them to go eat that bacon and egg burrito um, at Torchy's next to their, their friend, their Gentile Christian, that would be, they don't, Paul doesn't use the term, but strong would be what he means. Someone that's like, hey, I'm free in Christ and I can, I can do this and, and therefore I'm going to enjoy this liberty. I like bacon a lot and I'm going to, I'm going to eat this bacon and as I eat these flavors, it's going to be from my heart, praise towards God and I'm going to, I'm going to praise God in my heart for this, uh, these tastes, these flavors that I get to enjoy. It's going to remind me of God's care, um, how he loves me and even just doesn't uh, put me um, with a bunch of bland things in life. I get to enjoy life and I get to be reminded of him. And, and so you could have someone across from each other um, that are choosing s- some very different things that they, they both could do it, but one person doesn't feel like their conscience allows them to do it. Um, the other person feels like their conscience does allow uh, them to do it. And so um, th- this is the, the lay of the land here. Right? Does that make sense? Strong and weak, the way that he's using it. Not spiritual maturity, um, not even stronger faith. He's using this term in a very specific way about what your conscience will allow you to do, what freedoms you might enjoy, what freedoms you might just say no to. All right. So now um, what I want to do is move forward a little bit with two main points that will kind of grab some of these scriptures as we see these two points about what this means. So here's two main points for everyone here today from this passage. Here's the first one is that strong convictions are expected of Christians and should be exercised by faith. Strong convictions um, are expected of Christians and should be exercised by faith. And I'm going to read these scriptures, but this is shocking. I just want you to, I want to say this so you can see it as we read some of these verses, is what I would think Paul would do is to say, you know, it doesn't even matter. It doesn't even matter. I mean, bacon, just who who cares? And somebody's like, I care a lot about bacon, please. Um, But uh, you'd think that that's what he would say is, y'all, just don't, just chill out. This stuff doesn't even matter. But it's actually not what we're going to see here. He's going to say, dude, be fully convinced. Like, Like have a strong conviction even on a debatable gray area issue that a freedom that could be exercised or, or not. Let's read verses five through eight. It says, one person 
esteems one day better than another. So this would probably be a Jewish Christian that felt like they should honor like Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Uh, Maybe even a special honoring in a very narrow way of the Sabbath, like the Jewish Sabbath perhaps, and maybe even translated uh, onto a Sunday. It it could play out a lot of different ways. It could be, hey, I want to honor and celebrate Hanukkah or some of the other big big Jewish uh, holy days and festivals. So it says, one person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Another person, probably a Gentile Christian, says, I mean, sure, but, you know, the law is fulfilled, and so I'm not going to celebrate Yom Kippur. I'm not going to, I'm not doing Hanukkah. I'm not doing any of those things. Like, those things were fulfilled in Christ. It's just another day. I want to thank God for this day, but I'm not going to have a special day. So you see the lay of the land there again, where the conflict comes, and it says each one should be, listen to this, fully convinced in his own mind. He doesn't say, ah, chill out, no biggie. He says, no, be fully convinced. Go, um, go do that, that uh, Jewish holy day uh, or not, but be fully convinced in your own mind. Live out that conviction strongly. Uh, now look at this, verse 6. Uh, the one who observes the day observes it in the honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in the honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in the honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. So I want to stop right there. And so you have two people. This is what's really incredible. Two people with very different convictions. One person that's at Torchy's is eating the bacon, egg, and cheese burrito. And right next to them, you got someone that's like, no, um, I'll just take the tortilla, please, uh, or whatever. I don't even know if that's allowed. But um, and that actually sounds pretty good, too. And, uh, and so you have these two people, and they're sitting right across from each other, and one is, as they get ready to eat, is about to sink their teeth into that egg and the bacon. And again, these flavors, Lord, thank you for this. This is incredible. And Lord, that you would make, that you would make a pig. Lord, thank you. And Lord, you, it's just incredible. And that someone invented this and even this part of the world I live in. Because you know, there are some parts of the world you go to that don't even have breakfast burritos. It's, it's shocking. Uh, and they're, they're enjoying this and they're giving thanks to their God and they're, they're enjoying this liberty. And it's like directing their heart vertically in praise to God. As it should. Everything that you eat, enjoy, um, all these things are, are a, an opportunity for you to connect with God. The person right across the table from them is sinking their teeth into the tortilla or they brought uh, something from home or who knows what. And, um, and, they, are, um, and they are in their heart uh, saying, you know, I'd be curious what bacon would taste like. Um, but I, I'm going to say no. And Lord, I hope this pleases you, my conviction here. And I, I want to I please you by saying no to something that my friend across from me enjoys. And I'm abstaining for you, God. I'm abstaining for, for you. And, um, and then it says, verse 7, um, it says, For none of us lives to himself. And this is the strong pushback to self-absorbed people. They're like, no, man, nobody's telling me what to do. And this is, I, I can, and therefore I'm going to, or, uh, or who do you, you're, you're doing this liberty. Uh, that must mean you just live crazy and that you don't have any discipline. And no, it says no, none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. And I love this. Um, verse seven is so big, not for ourselves that we, we live for God primarily. And if we live, we live for him. If we die, we die to him. It even goes on to have um, some really beautiful things at the end of this passage that I love so much um, that it says, um, I'm just, let's go and pull back that, the first few slides that Kelly read. I'm going to pick up 
in verse 9, just so we can see like these clear gospel links. It says, for this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. So this is even pointing to Jesus' life, Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection, that he's Lord of all. So why do you pass judgment on each other? And this is the, the real transition that we're about to get into um, um, now uh, about um, the judgment that, that passes uh, from people. And so that's the first point that I want us to really see here is that strong convictions are expected of Christians and should be exercised by faith. Um, there's even a really great verse at the end of chapter 14 that you'll see in your reading that says, listen to this, everything that's not of faith is sin. Really interesting. So that would mean that um, just because you're eating and you're, you're right, you could eat that bacon, but if it wasn't something that was like, Lord, I want to thank you for this, and I'm doing this from faith, or even the abstaining that's done from faith, or someone that really doesn't feel like they should eat bacon, but they get talked into it, and it, it doesn't come from faith, it would actually be described as sinful, even in an area of liberty. That's the whole point. All of these things, if we live, we live to the Lord. Uh, if we die, um, even, even we can trust God with that. Our life and our death are all, um, all about him. Now, I want to make one last mention um, of the initial exception I brought up earlier. You don't get to play this card. This is not an ace of spades card that you get to play about talking about um, robbing the bank or um, sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend or an extramarital affair or whatever, or um, abusing or bullying your spouse at home or whatever. You don't get to say, yeah, but I feel fine about it. Doesn't matter what you feel fine with because again, don't pass go, don't collect $200, um, that you don't, you don't even get a, a choice here um, that um, the Bible says this is right or this is wrong. Um, this is not a thing you get to have a strong conviction about. You just obey and you obey from faith. Uh, but we're talking about debatable issues. All right, so now second point. So the first point is strong convictions are expected of Christians and grab a conviction and be fully convinced in your own mind and even let that be for the Lord in your abstaining or your doing uh, of whatever that thing is. Number two, grace should be given when convictions differ. And I, I, love, um, I love when it's said there um, that it says, accept, um, accept one another, um, it, that um, accept one another then in chapter uh, 15 it says, in verse 7, it says, accept one another then, just as Christ has accepted you. And uh, this is a, a, big, a big call here in these two chapters about uh, moving from a place of judgment, which is really what those last few verses were getting at in chapter 1, to moving to a place of acceptance. Going, hey, I don't know why you don't feel like you can or can't do that. And I have a different place of that, but because of Jesus, this is what um, this is where my conviction stands. But I'm gonna I'm gonna accept you. And you think about this. This is another gospel tie here. So Jesus died and was raised, which we've already read here. But um, furthermore, that um, Jesus has accepted us with our failings, even with weird opinions we have, all these things that Jesus died, was resurrected from the dead, and because of that, he accepts you. And because of this safety we have with God, because of Christ's acceptance of us, then we can accept each other even when we have different, uh, different convictions. And again, we're not living for ourselves; um, We're living for each other. Now, one of our, um, I do a, do a sermon lab every week, whoever's going to preach, and one of our guys found this little slide right here that I think is really great. Um, and helpful about um, just to be really clear about all these things. So um, just a little bit of a flow chart of ways to think about this is, does the Bible allow it? Um, no. Okay. It's super clear. None of this even matters. That's not what Romans 14 is about. Don't do it. Or if it does say to do it, then do it. Um, okay. Then if yes, then we move, does my conscience allow it? And then if the answer is no, don't do it out of faith to please God. 
don't do it. Don't let someone talk you into doing it because they feel free to do it. If your conscience does allow you to do it, now we're moving to an area of freedom. And these further questions actually come up more on the second half of chapter 14. That's a little bit beyond our scope today. But you'll read that, and you should read the second half of the chapter. Some great questions. What is the effect on other Christians? Like, love is more important than knowledge, which is beautiful because um, we we're, were actually uh, just saw this here that um, in this passage that I, I'm not living for myself anymore, that I'm, I'm living to please God, and I, I don't want to um, you know, cause any problems for other people. What's the effect on non-Christians? The gospel is more important than our rights. How do other people perceive, even outside looking into the Christian community, based on my doing or not doing this, that my conscience does allow me to do? So it could be your conscience could allow you to do it, but there might be some scenarios because of what it might mean for other Christians, what it might mean for non-Christians that you still might choose to not. Uh, the last one is what effect does this have on my spiritual life? I'm free to do it, but is it beneficial? That's actually language from another uh, passage in Scripture. So I think this is a really helpful, uh, helpful little thing. All right, so now um, this is all this part. It's been kind of the easy part of the sermon. Now what I'm going to try to do, you're like, was it? Um, because I realize we're trying to unpack 2,000 years of context. My guess is, is there are not very many of us here that are struggling with eating that bacon, egg, and cheese burrito, unless you're like really crazy health stuff, and it still might feel morally wrong to you then. But um, I'm going to move to uh, I'm going to move to some er- some issues that I think are the kinds of things that we might deal with in kind of the nitty gritty of where things go wrong in relationships. And so uh, I'm going to do a case study, and I'm going to mention a couple of three other ones too that I think could be. Um, in line with the kind of things that would come up in Romans 14. Pray for me. All right, so um, first one, let's do alcohol. Let's start off with alcohol. Um, So Christians see alcohol in different ways, all right? Um, Now, I've heard people that have tried to preach sermons. I've seen actually several of these. And the churches where I really first started following Jesus would teach that alcohol in any level and any kind of consumption is sinful. Like They would say that's not a Romans 14 issue. And I've seen the sermons and I've seen the stuff like that. They're just not convincing um, at all. Um, Because here's what you'll see when you read the scripture on alcohol is you'll see warnings. And you'll see, hey, it can do this, it can do this, be careful. um, And it'll be uniformly in both Testaments, Old and New Testament, that um, the scripture will warn against drunkenness. So again, you're like, no, I feel fine about getting drunk. It's like, well, remember the old flow chart? The Bible actually uh, prohibits that. So it doesn't matter if you feel fine with doing that. You just say, I'm not going to do that. Like that, that's a line that we don't, we don't cross is getting inebriated, okay? So the scriptures are clear on that, but um, you, it's just really hard to make a case that the Bible says you should not drink in any content, especially when one of Jesus' miracles actually involved turning um, you know, Culligan water into wine. Um, so um, anyways, just throwing that out there too. Now, so the, the case I would make is from the Bible, I think Christians are free to drink. You're free to drink. And you're like, really? But I, I think you're free to drink. All right, now, does that mean that every person in this room, room should drink? Now, I would make a case if you're under 21, it'd go back to that flow chart. It's like illegal, and that would be a no, all right? Just making that case right there. But anyways, go back to Romans uh, 13 from Kenan's sermon. I'll just throw that to you. Uh, but then now we're trying to wrestle with, okay, so you're free to drink, but should you? And you have some Christians in this room. So it's, it's kind of funny to talk about the breakfast egg and uh, cheese burrito. But like this is the real stuff that happens. Is imagine your gospel community. Have, you have a great night discussing the Bible. And you're really getting close with each other. And you're like, hey, do you want to go to, you want to, go to Chili's afterwards? And you're, sure. So a bunch of you go there and get a thing of queso and, and whatever. And y'all are all hanging out. And um, you're like, Coke, please. And then the person across from me is like, I'll take a draft. 
And you're like, whoa, all right. So this is what ends up happening is um, that that, um, I've seen this play out in Christian community a lot, even around this specific issue where the person that has has not, they've ordered the Coke, diet maybe even, and um, and then they said, um, they're, they're looking at a part across this person that just ordered that, that, um, that draft beer, and they're thinking, dude, I thought you were like serious about your faith, and like you're so worldly, like what, what's going on here? I mean, yeah, theoretically, can you drink? Sure, but like, like this is, I'm shook right now, you know, like I don't even know what to say about this, and, uh, and so, and like immediately, like all this judgment that's cast in here going, man, I thought we could have been friends, but I'm going to need to kind of pull back from this, and then the person that, that has the glass of beer now is looking across from the person, uh, and is like, hey man, you want to, you want some of this, what, you, you're not, you don't, not free, you know, whatever, and I've seen a groups of Christians, in fact, just to be completely transparent on this, the church planning network that we were part of for a long time, that you know, you'd get, guys would give you a hard time if after a conference, if you were hanging out and you didn't have a glass of beer in your hand. It was like, no, man, we're, we feel free, it's fine, and we're all pastors, it's all good. You could almost feel like pressure, like a bunch of like 19-year-olds that are out of the house for the first time. And you're like, no, nah, man, it's on, you know? And, um, and like, we're going we're gonna to flaunt our liberty a little bit and put pressure on people of, come on, man. It's like, a, again, it's like a, a kegger with a bunch of 17-year-olds or something uh, that, man, come on, everybody's doing it. And almost putting pressure on people at, to, to do something that their conscience would not allow, on the other hand, and the person whose conscience doesn't allow them or, or making judgments about the spiritual maturity, worldliness, and things like this of this other person. And so what the scriptures would say here is um, for the one who's abstaining from alcohol, even though they know that, that they could, maybe they're raised not drinking and it, feels, it just would feel so weird to them. Uh, maybe they've had an uncle that was an alcoholic and they've seen firsthand some of the real dangers and risks of it. Or uh, maybe they've had some bad experiences in their past and they, they actually are super tempted by it. They can't can't just drink one, and um, and they they in their heart just don't have a clear conscience about drinking drinking at that at that place. Yet they understand that you can, and that perhaps you're able to to do that in a way that that pleases the Lord. They're going to trust that you can. And, and they're entrusting, not casting judgment on their brother while you do. And the person who's drinking that beer, again, is, is doing that, enjoying that liberty, pleasing God, not putting pressure on this other person's, not trying to bind their conscience to do something that they don't uh, feel free to do, not making any judgment about that person's freedom in Christ, how they experience Jesus, um, even their ability to uh, please God and what it is that they do on a day-to-day basis, uh, both doing it for Jesus, both in different places, not putting pressure to adopt their conviction, each having pretty strong convictions about where they stand personally while knowing that the other person may land in a different spot. So you may have one person eating, eating the bacon, another person not, one person drinking alcohol, one person not, both pleasing God, both accepting one another as Christ has accepted them. All right, so there's a case study on how this might play out, but I've seen uh, Christians stop talking to each other over this specific issue. Uh, I'll give you a couple other just quick examples. Just, I'm not going to walk them all the way through like this. You may have one Christian that realizes they're free to have social media, but they just don't want to. That maybe they've been kind of owned by it and put way too much time into it. Maybe had some bad experiences there. Maybe were bullied. Maybe they just couldn't help themselves from giving their hot takes and ruined friendships. Who knows what? 
but for just whatever reason, they just don't, they know they could, they just don't feel like they can. They've got another friend that's just all about it and loves it and they're on there all the time and they feel connected to people through it and enjoy using social media and it's a way that they stay connected and they, they even, um, that it can be an act of worship for them and, and by checking on people and commenting and just points of connection relationally, well, this person just doesn't feel like they can. You may have two people that have very different stances on social media. You may have the same thing on somebody that just doesn't want a TV, just they know they could, they just haven't been helped by it. And in faith, they don't want a TV and they, they, they don't do that. And somebody else that uh, may, binge, uh, may binge a whole season in one night and they have friends over and it is a great source of entertainment. They have a great time and they enjoy Jesus and enjoying this media. You have some people that, that may feel like they can't listen to certain kinds of music um, that just, with a clear conscience. You can have a lot of things and I'll even throw one more out. Um, you could even have people, and I'm just going to mention this. This is like dangerous for me to do, uh, but I'm just going to say it is that even on, I've had Christians on both sides of this issue say the same thing about the other people, so I feel like I've got to, is I've heard people say, um, man, on COVID, that I don't want to be around any people that dot, 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 those people that wouldn't do anything to help and didn't want to mask, didn't want to do vaccines, didn't want to do anything. I don't want to even be around those people. I hated how they carried themselves, didn't want to do anything, lots of people died. And then I heard, you'd hear, I heard other people say, I don't want to be around any of those people that were complicit in taking away liberties and shutting things down and what that did to kids and what that did to our economy and um, the infringement on liberties. Anyone that was complicit in that, I don't want anything to do with. I'm just going to throw out, would it have been possible for someone to have, from faith, in whatever stance they had, to have tried to please God with the information that we can all admit was very confusing as it was all playing out, would it be possible for there to be a kind of acceptance towards one another, even if you had very different convictions on some of the particulars during COVID? Um, Is it possible that political ideology might have been a driving force? Um, And is it possible that maybe neither side was making a decision on what would please God and doing something out of faith? Just remember our two points here. Step one, have a conviction. Number two, um, grace extended um, whenever we're on different things. All right, so if we want to move outside of that, I want to fast forward to heaven. And this is a really encouraging thought to me that should have implications for how we live things out together now. So in heaven, you have two people standing next to each other. One felt like they could eat bacon. One did not. One felt like they could drink beer. One did not. One masked up and took the vaccines. The other one did not. Um, one did social media. One did not. And um, they both are standing there on whatever issue you want to talk about. Issue X, we'll call it. And, um, and they, they're already believed in Jesus. So they're going to heaven. Now you're giving an account for your life. And Jesus says, um, hey, man, whenever you did, chose to not have Instagram, but you did that for me, it was beautiful. And you chose to not do that thing, even though you could have. You're free to do that. You're free to eat the bacon. You're free, but you, you chose to abstain from that, but you did it for me. And you loved your brothers and sisters who differed with you on that. I just want you to know that was beautiful. I loved every second of it. Well done. And the next, and I'm not sure it goes like this, but the next person walks up and go, man, um, you, the, you engaged Instagram and you did that and you did that for me and you... You ate that bacon burrito and you did that. And by the way, you're going to be different things on all these issues. But um, you, you, um, you, um, you, you actually felt like the liberties that needed to be there in place. And you did this, but you did this for me and you did this to please me. And as you did these things, that was so beautiful because you did it for me. And you were kind to your brothers and sisters who saw that a different way. And you accepted each other, 
even while you saw these convictions differently, come on in, man. Beautiful, and uh, you're in because of Jesus and because of your belief in what Christ has done, but, but I love that you did that for me, and I accepted that as worship, and it's just beautiful to me. And this is the kind of new community that God wants to form, accepting, loving, with strong convictions um, that God would wrought in our hearts. So I'm going to pray um, that we walk these things out. Lord, would you give us these strong sense of conviction um, and the ability to walk these things out, love one another, even on areas that are really tricky, really scary, um, where we may even, uh, may even feel right and wrong to us, even if we know that there's some freedom. Um, Lord, would you let us walk these strong convictions out of faith to you, out of love to you, that it would be worship, but also out of acceptance towards one another. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.